Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. The following case is believed to be the oldest DNA match to lead to a prosecution in the United States. Diane Kusick was born on November 26, 1944, to parents Bernard and Rita Martin. In 1968, Diane was living in New Hyde Park, New York, with her four-year-old daughter Darlene. She was estranged from her husband and was also a dance teacher. Around 7 p.m. on February 15, 1968, Diane called her parents' house where her daughter was from her dance studio to let them know she was going to the mall to buy some dance shoes. A few hours would go by, and Diane would not show up. That's when her parents went to the mall and began searching for her themselves. They found her 1961 Plymouth Valiant still parked in the parking lot of the Green Acres Mall just off Sunrise Highway in Valley Stream, New York, on Long Island. They were unaware that investigating the car would lead to a horrible discovery. In the back seat, they found their daughter's lifeless and bloody body. The autopsy showed that she had been beaten, raped, and duct taped, ultimately dying of suffocation in her car. Investigators first turned their sights to her estranged husband, but he was quickly ruled out because he was working his part-time job as a taxi driver when the murder occurred. Despite having a semen sample, the case would go unsolved for the next 54 years. Then in 2021, with DNA from the crime scene, a DNA profile was created to begin the process of genetic genealogy. Through this tedious process, the Nassau County Police Department announced that Diane's killer was Richard Cottingham. Cottingham was a married, working man with three children and is one of America's most prolific serial killers known as the Torso Killer for his frequent dismembering of his victims. Interestingly, he was born just one day after Ted Bundy. He would be indicted and thankfully has been behind bars since 1980, serving a 200-year sentence. He was caught on May 22, 1980, after a motel maid at a Quality Inn heard a woman screaming in a room and notified authorities. While torturing her, he tried to muffle the sounds of 18-year-old Leslie O'Dell. He was caught trying to flee the room and was discovered with numerous weapons, handcuffs, a leather gag, collars, pistols, and sedative pills. It was the same motel where Valerie Street was found strangled to death and handcuffed under a bed earlier that same month. 
Just 10 days after Valerie Street was found, firefighters were called to a fire at the historic Seville Hotel on East 29th Street off Madison Avenue in New York City. There, they found the body of 25-year-old Jean Rayner, who had been murdered. Her breasts were literally left on the bed's headboard for police to find, and the room set on fire. On October 28, 1967, 29-year-old married mother of two, Nancy Schiava Vogel of Little Ferry, New Jersey, disappeared after encountering an acquaintance. That acquaintance was Cottingham, and they both lived in Little Ferry at the time. Her body was found in her car in nearby Ridgefield Park three days later. Her murder remained unsolved until 2010 when Cottingham finally confessed to the crime. On July 17, 1968, 13-year-old Jacqueline Harp of Midland Park, New Jersey, was walking home from band practice when Cottingham attempted to coax her into his car. She declined and continued walking, but he drove ahead, parked, and chased her down as she ran. She was found strangled the next day and became his youngest known victim to date. On April 7, 1969, 18-year-old Irene Blaise of Bogota, New Jersey, was shopping in Hackensack when Cottingham asked her to have a drink with him. The following day, her body was pulled out of the Saddle River in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Another of the killer's younger victims, Denise Velasca, was walking along a road in Emerson in July 1969 when Cottingham stopped and offered her a ride. She was later found strangled to death and dumped in Saddlebrook. In 2021, over 50 years later, he confessed to the murders of Denise, Irene, and Jacqueline. On December 15, 1977, 26-year-old Marianne Carr, an X-ray technician from Little Ferry, was abducted from the Ledgewood Terrace Apartments, where Cottingham had once lived. Her body was found along a fence behind the same Quality Inn in Hasbrouck Heights, where he would later be arrested in 1980. On December 2, 1979, Firefighters were called to a fire in a room of the Travel Inn on West 42nd Street, blocks from Times Square. Firefighter James Rogers, who worked through the smoke in room 417, spotted two bodies on the room's twin beds. He grabbed the closest body and pulled her out of the room, preparing to do CPR when he suddenly noticed the person was missing body parts. Before setting fire to them, Cottingham removed identifying parts and took them with him. To this day, they have never been located. It took two months for one victim to be identified as Dee Dee Godarzy and the other, believed to be about 16, has remained a Jane Doe for over 40 years and is still unidentified. He would be referred to as the Times Square Killer for these two murders, because a connection had not yet been made to the other killings where he was dubbed the Torso Killer. His DNA wouldn't be obtained until years later because back then, convicted criminals were not required to provide their DNA. His DNA was taken and entered into CODIS in 2016 when he pleaded guilty to one of the murders in New Jersey. In 2021, police in Nassau County, New York, received a tip about a man who was locked up in New Jersey, saying that he could be responsible for the killings in the county just east of New York City. They re-ran DNA tests on cold cases, and it matched to Cottingham. 
When questioned, he led police to believe he was responsible by giving details but wouldn't fully admit to the crime. Currently, his DNA is being compared to other murders from 1967 to 1980. After Diane's murder, Cottingham pretended to be a security guard or police officer and accused her of stealing and forcing her to go with him. It's thought he lured many of his victims this way. Cottingham once claimed to a serial killer historian that he had killed about a hundred women, but authorities are skeptical of that number. Many on the long list of his victims survived, including a woman left for dead, but later rescued in a New York City sewer in 1978. At trial, some of this monster's surviving victims testified about having drinks with him and then getting very sleepy. It is believed that he used sedatives to drug his victims, who would then wake up in a motel room where they would be tortured and sexually assaulted. Most survived, but some did not make it out of the motel rooms alive. Cottingham was convicted at multiple trials for the murders of Dee Dee Guzzari, Jane Doe, and Jean Rayner in New York, as well as the murders of Valerie Street and Mary Ann Carr in New Jersey. He has been officially linked to 12 murders, which all took place in the 1960s and 70s. When Diane was murdered, he would have been only 22 years old. He is now 74, in feeble health and nearly bedridden. In June of 2022, he appeared in court from his hospital bed, hopefully suffering worse than his victims. The most recent murders for him to confess to and plead guilty to are the 1974 abduction, torture, and murders of two Bergen, New Jersey teens. On August 9, 1974, 17-year-old Mary Ann Pryor and 16-year-old Lorraine Marie Kelly took a bus to the mall for bathing suits and never returned. Witnesses saw the girls, who were known to hitchhike often, walking on Broad Avenue in Ridgefield, New Jersey, before getting into the car with a white man. He admitted to forcing Lorraine into a hotel room and threatening to hurt her if Marianne didn't follow. That is where he tortured them for several days before drowning them in the motel bathtub and dumping them near 29 Rolling Ridge Road in Montvale, New Jersey. The family was listening to the radio on August 14th when a news flash reported two female bodies had been found in the woods in Montville, up near the New Jersey-New York state line. Moments later, detectives knocked on the door and her parents were taken to identify the body. Her mother, Wanda Pryor, fainted and detectives escorting the family to the morgue stopped at a doctor's office for Valium to help her through the ordeal. She has spent the rest of her life reliving that image. Detective Robert Anzalotti questioned Cottingham for about 15 years, trying to find out what all murders he was responsible for. He said Cottingham enjoyed playing games with cold case detectives for making them work for each confession he gave them. Cottingham was upset when he learned that Anzalotti was retiring and he convinced him to go to court and confess to the double homicide before he retired. Weeks before his retirement, with the help of forensic historian Peter Voronsky and victim Didi Guzzari's daughter, Jennifer Weiss, they got him to confess to the murder of teens Lorraine Kelly and Marianne Carr. Interestingly, Jennifer Weiss was adopted at birth and only found out about her biological mother, Dee Dee, in 2004. 
She then befriended Cunningham and began assisting law enforcement by getting more information out of him on cases. She has slowly gotten more details about her mother's murder, but has yet to get him to tell her where her school can be found. She has stated that she feels Cottingham has no genuine interest in helping bring closure to anyone, but he wants to help her because of their friendship. The Life of the Notorious Killer is now a Netflix documentary titled Times Square Killer. Claire Ann Gravel is a native of North Andover, Massachusetts, born on August 9, 1966, to parents Mary and Robert Gravel. At the age of 20, she was a sophomore at Salem State College, living in Salem, Massachusetts, and was on the school softball team. On June 28, 1986, Claire spent the evening at Major MacLeish's Pub in Salem after a softball game with her teammates. After 1 a.m., she accepted a ride home from an unknown male who offered to drop her off at home. Reports say she asked to be dropped off at Joseph's Credit Union next to her apartment on Lowering Avenue in Salem at around 1.30 a.m. on June 29th. The next morning on June 30, 1986, three workers found her body in the woods off Route 128 in Beverly, Massachusetts. The autopsy determined that she had been strangled and dumped in the woods. While there are conflicting reports, most reports state that the male that dropped her off was questioned by police and said he didn't watch her walk into her apartment. At this point, a rumor began circulating that a man in a white Nissan pickup had been harassing her at the pub and was being sought by the police. However, there was never any evidence found to support the rumor. Police would question patrons who were in and around the pub on the night in question, but no leads were found. Investigators interviewed dozens of witnesses and persons of interest over the years, but they were never able to nail down a solid suspect. Although DNA was collected from her clothing, the case would go unsolved for 35 years until DNA and genetic genealogy research advances were available. Eventually, a DNA profile was created from the DNA found on her clothing, and in August of 2022, it led investigators to 63-year-old John Carey. He was subsequently indicted for her murder. Carey had been a person of interest in Claire's death for a long time, but investigators didn't have enough evidence to arrest him. When he was indicted for her murder in 2022, he was already behind bars, serving a 20-year sentence for attempting to strangle his neighbor, Rosemary Diskin, to death in Hamilton, Massachusetts in 2007. On the night of the attack, he called and asked if Rosemary's husband was available to go golfing, but she informed him that her husband was at work instead. Carrie then showed up at her house, and once again, she told him that her husband was not home. As she went to make a telephone call, Carrie attacked her and began strangling her with a necktie. During the attack, Rosemary's 12-year-old son, Jason, stabbed Carrie, causing him to release Mary, but when she got back up, he began attacking her again. The mother and son were finally able to escape to a different neighbor's home as Carrie attempted to run them over with his car. After his arrest, Police found numerous images of strangulation tactics on his personal computer, along with sites about weird sexual fetishes. Thankfully, 
he will spend the rest of his life behind bars and never be able to hurt anyone ever again. Claire's surviving family, her father, two brothers, and a sister were relieved and very grateful that a suspect had finally been identified. Hopefully, Carrie can now finally rest in peace. Karen Stitt was born on July 25, 1967, to parents Robert Stitt and Catherine Lejeski. At the age of 14, she moved from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Palo Alto, California with her father. She was described as spunky and upbeat, but also different than other girls. At the age of 15, she was an incoming sophomore at Palo Alto High School and would begin traveling to and from the El Camino Real bus routes to see her boyfriend in Sunnyvale. On the night of September 2, 1982, just a few months after moving to Palo Alto, Karen took a bus to Sunnyvale to spend a few hours with her boyfriend, 17-year-old Michael Calhoun. Around midnight, Michael drove her to the bus stop in the area of El Camino Real and Wolf Road near a convenience store. After seeing her walk toward the bus stop, he felt terrible but drove away before she got on the bus safely because he was worried he would get grounded for being late for curfew. The next morning, her naked body was found by a delivery truck driver about 100 yards from the bus stop. It was concealed behind a four-foot-tall center block wall outside the now-gone Honey Bee Restaurant. She had been sexually assaulted, bound with her own clothing, and the killer left both his blood and bodily fluid on her body, but the case would go unsolved for 40 years until advancements in DNA and genetic genealogy. Her boyfriend, Michael, would be considered a suspect for 18 years until the year 2000 when he was finally cleared based on the DNA evidence. Even with being a suspect all these years, he would still go on to become a police officer after her murder sparked him to help others. He moved to Las Vegas and frequently checked in on the status of her case until a new investigator took over and refused to give him any information. In early 2019, that DNA was used to create a profile for forensic genetic genealogy. The process narrowed her concise list of possible killers to four brothers from Fresno, California. In addition, Sunnyvale detective Matt Hutchison obtained a DNA sample from one of the brothers' children. In late April 2022, Gary Jean Ramirez was identified as the likely source of the DNA left at the crime scene. Once his DNA was confirmed a match, 75-year-old Ramirez was arrested at his home in Maui on August 2, 2022. The operation to arrest Ramirez took months of planning by multiple law enforcement agencies working together and was primarily funded by a grant awarded to the DA's office in 2021 by the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate and prosecute cold cases. Ramirez grew up, attended high school in Fresno, and served in the U.S. Air Force in the early 1970s. After leaving the military, he frequented or resided in the Bay Area Peninsula, San Francisco, San Diego, Colorado, and Hawaii. Ramirez was arraigned in August of 2022 on murder, kidnapping, and rape charges and faces life in prison without the possibility of parole.
Leisha Michelle Jackson was born on December 23, 1966 in California. At the age of 12, she lived in Conroe, Texas and was a student at Washington Junior High. On September 7, 1979, Leisha spent the day with her older brothers swimming in the pool off FM 1485 in Conroe. The Jackson family lived nearby at 4517 Wildwood Drive, and when her brothers were ready to go home, Leisha wasn't, so they started walking home without her. Leisha eventually followed, but would never make it, and was last spotted walking alone on Creek Bend Street in the direction of her home. Later that day, her brother found her tortoiseshell eyeglasses at Creekwood and Deep Forest intersection in the same subdivision where she was walking. Six days after she went missing, on September 13, 1979, an oil field worker found her body half a mile from where they were swimming in a heavily wooded area along Exxon Road in Conroe. Tire tracks were found nearby that investigators believed were from the killer's car. Leisha's bright blue bikini was laid out near her shredded little t-shirt. An autopsy revealed Leisha had been sexually assaulted and then strangled to death. DNA was collected and preserved, hoping for advancements one day. Unfortunately, it would be years before authorities released a picture of the gold butterfly necklace Leisha was found wearing. She had been wearing a matching ring, which was taken and never found. Detectives kept that detail private, hoping the killer may have had it and it would connect him to her murder. Despite an extensive investigation, the case would eventually go cold and would go unsolved for the next 43 years. In 2005, the newly created Cold Case Homicide Squad took over the investigation. Strangely, nearly 40 years later, a man came forward and reported that a white station wagon was driving erratically through the neighborhood around the time of Leisha's abduction. In 2017, the investigator spent a lot of time pulling old tax records of people who lived near the Jackson family in 1979, but it led nowhere. A new technique called MVAC was used in her case. MVAC is a wet vacuum-based forensic DNA collection device. In 2020, the FBI conducted a study that showed that it collects more DNA than swabbing, particularly when the DNA is located on complex, porous surfaces. The MVAC CEO, Jared Bradley, describes it as basically a mini-hurricane. This technique would help solve Leisha's horrific murder when investigators borrowed the MVAC machine from a neighboring county. In October of 2021, Detectives sent in Leisha's 43-year-old clothing, and the MVAC was used to extract DNA from them. From there, forensic scientists developed a DNA profile of her killer and got a hit in the CODIS database that identified Leisha's killer as the sick and twisted Gerald D. White Casey. His DNA was matched from a blood sample that had been collected from him in 1989. However, it was quickly learned that Casey was executed 20 years earlier for another murder he committed in 1989. Casey and his accomplice, Carla Smith, had devised a plan in 1989 to steal a bunch of guns from a man they knew named Daryl Pennington so they could sell them and use the money to move to Florida. 
So when they discovered Daryl was at work and his roommate, Sonia Lynn Howell, was home alone, they agreed that they would leave Sonia in the woods so Pennington would think she stole the guns. Instead, she was beaten, shot, and dumped in the woods. Witnesses later identified Casey as the person who sold them the guns stolen from Pennington. Carla Smith testified against Casey at his 1991 trial, and he was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. Even before Sonia's murder, Casey had a long rap sheet and had been in and out of prison between 1976 and 1989. Casey was executed by lethal injection on April 18, 2002. Selena Ann Keough was born on October 26, 1959, in L.A. On July 16, 1981, 21-year-old Selena's body was found under some bushes near an apartment building in Montclair in San Bernardino County. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. DNA would be collected from her body, but the case would go unsolved for nearly 40 years. Finally, with the use of investigative genetic genealogy, a 67-year-old serial killer, Horace Van Vaults Jr. of California, was linked to the DNA. Based on the match, the detectives then collected an item from his trash that contained his DNA, and again it was a positive match. He was subsequently arrested during a traffic stop in Inglewood, California, in November 2019. Not only was his DNA linked to Selena's murder, but also the sexual assault and murder of a woman five years after Selena's murder, named Mary Duggan. On June 9, 1986, 22-year-old Mary was found in the trunk of her car in an empty parking lot in Burbank, California. He went to trial for the murder and sexual assault of both women. At his trial, Jana Rowe was also mentioned during the trial and linked to vaults by prosecutors by both DNA and at least two other forms of evidence, including the deceased car and jewelry. 25-year-old Jana was strangled and left on a trash pile in neighboring Ventura County. Vaults had rented a motel room for her in Thousand Oaks days earlier and was later seen driving her car. The three women were restrained and strangled, similarly with Vault's semen recovered from their bodies. However, Vault's was acquitted of her death in 1988, before DNA evidence was used at trial and could not be retried. At his trial, the prosecution argued that Vault's was a sexually motivated serial killer. Vault's and his defense attorney of three years asserted that his client had consensual sex with the women and coincidentally someone else killed them. Also, Selena's body was found only a mile and a half from his home. Vault's testified in his own defense and claimed he was a swinger and couldn't remember meeting the victims because he had been with dozens, if not hundreds, of women in the 80s. On August 18, 2022, he was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder with the special circumstance allegations that the crimes involved multiple murders, rape, and sodomy. He faces life in prison without the possibility of parole and is scheduled to be sentenced on September 19, 2022. These two women's murders are the first in L.A. County to be solved with the help of genetic genealogy. While executing a search warrant, 
21 photographs of unknown young women and teens were found in Bolt's home. So far, two of those pictured have been identified as alive and well. However, detectives continue seeking the public's help in identifying the rest of them shown here. Police suspect that some of those in these pictures were murdered by Bolts, so if you recognize any of these women, please notify the authorities. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.